Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Big Ten Hoops Weekly Show. I am here, as always, with um, everybody's favorite co-host, Brett. Um, And we are here to talk about the Big Ten Tournament, which just concluded, um, and the actual tournament. So this is March. We are here. It's the best time of the year, but not for everyone, as we're going to talk about as we're going to talk about very shortly. Uh, Brett, how are you feeling the the greatest Sunday of the year upon us? You know, it's I, I agree with that statement on the, that this is the best Sunday of the year for anything, including sports. I am personally disappointed uh, in Wisconsin not making the tournament, although it, it is not uh, the, the biggest issue I have with how the brackets shook out. Um, but I'm excited, man. Like, <clears throat> it's always it's always that time of year where, like, you see a bracket in front of you. And and you can start you can start filling it out. I always like to to make mine by hand just to start. Um, and so it really really brings back a lot of memories. Um, but we have we have our field of 68, and I can't really ask for much else. Good, because no one wants to hear about your personal problems. They just want to hear about the Big Ten. So let's get into it. Um, first, the 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 tournament that was so uh, the uh, excitement or lack thereof, got started on the bubble early in the week. Um, and I think the, the, the biggest early shocker um, in the Big Ten tournament took place on day one, on Wednesday, when Ohio State served up an upset to Wisconsin in the 12-13 game, which effectively sent any shot that Wisconsin had at making the tournament um, da- down the drain. Uh you know, we're, we're going to talk about Ohio State in a little bit here, but uh, Brett, you 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 hit on it. But um, what what went wrong for Wisconsin in that game? Well, from my very informed opinion, uh, it looked like they didn't realize the game started until about a third of the way through the second half uh, when they found themselves down by 27. It was a combination of things that plagued the Badgers all year, right? Like you have they went five for ten on layups in the first half. They were zero for six from three. They were generating really good looks. They just couldn't hit them. I mean, they're missing layups. They're missing open threes by, you know, from guys that had consistently hit them this year. Uh, and it also didn't help that Ohio state decided to make set like 62% of their shots, I think in the first half. Um, and you know, they were contested. Some of, some of them were pretty contested looks. Some of them were a couple defensive lapses in there, but you know, it, it wasn't like Wisconsin was just not running offense. They were getting pretty good looks. And at the end of the day, I guess that's all you can ask for to a, to a degree. Um, but then, you know, they, they woke up a bit in the second half and, and uh, Max Klesman missed a three that would have, would have had them down by two with about a minute and a half left. Um, so, you know, a lot of kind of missed opportunities in a, in a game that was really emblematic of a lot of their struggles for the entire season, I think, um, in not making the easy shots, uh, not knocking down open looks. Uh, and just kind of having trouble scoring when they needed to. Um, and that was, you know, and it also helped that, you know, they looked like they, a team that knew they had the pressure on them to win the game, where Ohio, whereas Ohio State was just playing loose, kind of with nothing to lose. Um, and, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep talking about them. But, I mean, they strung together a really magnificent first half offensively uh, on the backs of, of Sean McNeil and, and Bruce Thornton. Um, so, yeah, they, they came out ready to play, and, and even though they, they, they bent a little bit down the stretch, they didn't fully break and, and were able to come away with the win. Yeah, and I, I think the most the, – the thing that was the, I think, most just frustrating for Wisconsin fans was that this game would have added nothing to their resume had they won it. Um, but, you know, it was fatal that they lost it in some ways. 
Um, and so, you, you know, it, it, I know they had a, you know, they, they had an underwhelming conference season having to finish at nine and 11 and thus play in day one. But um, they, you know, probably would have benefited from just, you know, being the 10 seed, um, you know, and, and actually getting, um, being in a situation where they weren't going to expose themselves to a bad loss and had a good, good opportunity to pick up a good win. Anyway, had, had Wisconsin even won this game, they would have been playing their second game in a day against, you know, a, a higher seed. They, they were almost set up to fail with the way this, this draw was set up. And that, you know, is a, you know, it's a reflection on how Wisconsin played in conference play. But um, yeah, you know, they, uh, un- unfortunate the way they came out that they couldn't at least um, give themselves a shot um, on, on Thursday to, um, you know, fight for another day for their bubble lives. So we knew Wisconsin was off the board early um, from the bubble teams. I, uh, you know, the, the second bubble team that I think a lot of people had been talking about over the last couple of weeks here was, was Michigan. And, you know, they were slotted in the eight, nine game against Rutgers um, on, on Thursday. And, you know, that, that game kind of had an interesting storyline going into it, right? Because, um, M- Michigan was probably on the outside looking in um, at that point, but um, th- this was sort of like an elimination game, right? Because Rutgers, you know, had 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 um, really, you know, fallen off the last couple of weeks. I think they lost something like four or five or five, six coming into this game, um, in- including, you know, losing a home game to Northwestern. Um, and they lost to Minnesota earlier in the week, you know, in the last week of regular season play. So, um, you know, it, it felt like a, a loss here would knock them, you know, if, if not out, like right on the cut line. And for Michigan, it felt like they probably needed to, to win this game, you know, and Purdue to have a fighting shot to get in. Um, it was a close game for, for most of the game. And then Rutgers really took it at the end. Um, and so this effectively knocked Michigan um, out of contention. Um, you know, and, and in, in some ways, you know, their, their season was, you know, lost in late November, early January when they suffered a, a bad loss to Central Michigan and couldn't really get anything done in the non-conference play. They were able to turn it around a little bit and make a mini run in February, but um, they were likely facing, a, you know, a little bit too, too little, too late, um, and especially in losing games to Illinois and Indiana last week of the season, both of which they, they had and coughed away late. Um, this, this also kind of feels like they, they got what they deserved. Uh, but you know, the, the surprise here was really Rutgers and, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but, um, you had to feel good as a, as a Rutgers fan after this win. Um, they, they ended up losing to Purdue on Friday. Um, but, uh, they ended up not making the tournament and we'll talk about whether that was deserving or not a, a little bit later. Um, what we do want to spend a little bit more time talking about though, is Ohio state. Um, and Ohio State, you know, uh, one of the feel-good stories uh, of the Big Ten tournament, I think, here. So after their win over Wisconsin that we just talked about, um, they went out and, and beat Iowa um, and, and then turned around and beat Michigan State, too. So they, you know, won three games in, in three days, um, all against, you know, obviously Wisconsin didn't make the tournament, but all against, you know, kind of quality teams and, you know, two of which were tournament worthy. Um, we kind of sensed that, you know, Ohio State was turning things around late in the season as they, they got a win over Illinois 
Uh, they got a win over Maryland. They fought Michigan State really, really tough um, in the last game of the regular season. And here you see it really, really put put it together, you know, and, and without Zed Key. But what did you see out of Ohio State that um, that that catalyzed their run to the the semis in which they fell fell short against Purdue? So I, I think I, I sort of alluded to this earlier if I didn't say it outright, but they just played like they had nothing to lose and they were playing free flowing and, and, you know, not super tight. And just, you know, if, if someone made a mistake, it was on to the next play, but they were really able to kind of get their game running in transition, um, especially against Wisconsin and really, you know, were able to see a, a, de- a good, a lot of production from Bruce Thornton. Um, I believe he had, uh, you know, six, 15 against Wisconsin, um, then 17 against Iowa and, uh, 21 against Michigan state back to back to back games. Um, which is really impressive, you know, for anybody to do, let alone a freshman playing in his first, uh, conference tournament. But yeah, it just, it, you know, it seemed like when they weren't playing super tight, like they kind of, it seemed like they were doing a lot of this season, um, and kind of under pressure, especially as kind of the losses started mounting up during their nine game lose or eight game losing streak. Um, it was, yeah, it was just, it looked like a different team. You know, I think, there, there's, there was, we knew, we talked about it a lot. There were a lot of, there's a lot of talent on this team and they were able to do it without Bryce Sensabaugh in the, uh, I believe the Michigan state game also. Um, so I think it was, you know, kind of all their talent really kind of coming together at the right time. Now, you know, it's, it's not, not going to be much help when you go into the tournament, uh, 13 and, and 18, but you know, it was, it was good to see Ohio state kind of fully sort of put it together and, and, then it also kind of makes you think about what could have been had they been able to play a little bit more consistently uh, yeah, throughout the I year. Mean, it, it was really just one major bad losing streak that that doomed them this year. If you recall, you know, going into Big Ten play, they were well positioned for a tournament bid. They, if um, if I'm not mistaken, I think they they had a they, they beat San Diego State earlier this year. Um, no, they didn't. They lost to San Diego State, but beat Cincinnati and Texas Tech. Um, close game against Duke. Close game against North Carolina. Uh, came into the the meet of conference play at ten and three. Yeah, yeah. So they were they were positioned, you know, with a five hundred, you know, or maybe a, an eleven and nine finish in conference play. They would have made the tournament. Um, things just fell apart when they got into conference play. Uh, Zed Key got injured. Uh, you know, we we chronicled Sensabon his inability to you know stay on the floor with respect to foul trouble and his just consistency shooting. But you know, they they put it together for a few games here, and I think you know this is actually. When you think about their program holistically, you know they've they've lost they've lost guys to the NBA, you know, probably earlier than Holtman was expecting over the last couple of years. And so, um, I, I think they're they're a young team, but reason for hope, um, looking to the future. If you're an Ohio State fan, um, that they really would have been the story of the tournament had it not been for Penn State. Um, and Penn State was, you know, probably the there were, I think, consensus three bubble teams, you know, going into this tournament in the conference, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin and and Penn State, um, or at least we all thought. Right. Um, and and Penn State, you know, they they had a chaotic um, last couple of weeks, even, you know, before uh, before we got here. Right. Like a, a, a big home win over Maryland the Sunday before the tournament, a big road win in overtime against Northwestern before that. They blew a huge lead and lost to Rutgers. Like they just they experienced the full roller coaster um, before co- going in here. But I mean, essentially, 
yeah, they kind of knew that, you know, a, a win over Illinois in that first game and, you know, that, that they were probably going to be comfortable um, making the tournament. And not only did they get that, they beat, they beat Illinois, they beat Northwestern, then they beat Indiana in the semis, and then they um, almost beat Purdue in the championship game. Um, and it was really that same formula that we saw from Penn State all year with, you know, one-on-one, getting to the free throw line, um, making timely threes. Um, Jalen Pickett, you know, hit 28 points against Indiana in their win in the semis. You know, he's been really good. A, a balanced effort. Guys like Funk, Dread, Lundy all contributing. They all got it to come together. Um, and, and, and they're sort of a, you know, they, they, they proved that they're a dangerous team, but they, they may be dangerous, you know, when in the field of six of, of 68 too, but I guess, you know, wh- whatever they do the next couple of weeks aside here, I mean, big, um, th- this is big for Micah Shrewsbury and getting this program to be a consistent player in the conference, right? Yeah. I mean, if he stays, um, you know, there's, there's significant rumors now that he's, he's emerged as Georgetown's top target. And, and for the sake of everyone, we won't go down that rabbit hole just yet. Um, that's for a potentially later episode. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, this, this is really where kind of the seeds of, of everything kind of ended up where, you know, he, he kind of laid the seeds with the, with bringing in the transfer of, of Jalen Pickett, bringing in guys like Funk and then leaning on veterans who have been, in the program for years, like Seth Lundy and Miles Dredd, um, you know, I mean, it, it's a group that just plays super hard-nosed basketball, um, lets it fly from three, and but I think importantly, in a way that kind of hamstrung them at the beginning of the year, has started finding ways to win when their shots aren't falling, like from three. You know, and we've seen that a lot with, with Pickett really taking his time to get established in the post. Um, like you said, 28 points against Indiana, 8 of 16 from from two. Uh, and the team as a whole only shot eight for 23 from three against Indiana, but they were able to limit the Hoosiers to two of 14 from three um, and, and really kind of somewhat limit the damage by guys not named Trace Jackson Davis. Um, so mostly by shutting down Hood Shafino. And uh, that's that's how they're going to win games. Um, I think that depth is still going to be an issue, especially if foul trouble kind of starts to rear its head. And, and, you know, we'll talk about what their matchup, their first round matchup is going to look like. But, yeah, I think. Huge, huge opportunity for, for Micah Shrewsbury and co um, to really, like you said, kind of establish Penn State basketball and, and show why they're not to be taken lightly. And and then just, you know, putting a bow on the Big Ten tournament, the one team that we haven't talked about yet are the, the champions, the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, they go three for three. Um, you know, you, you could look at this and say, well, they beat a, you know, a nine seed, then a 13 seed and then a 10 seed. Probably wasn't the most, you know, um, gauntlet of um, routes that they took to get there compared to other routes that that teams have taken. Uh, but nonetheless, it's their consistency. It's Zach Eady. It's getting enough from the other guys. Um, and, and it, you know, it, in a way, it's, you know, surviving each game, right? Like they, they got a fight from Rutgers and kind of like they have all year, um, not necessarily dominant, but they found a way to win. I mean, I think we saw in some ways why Purdue's been so dominant all year, but we also saw there, um, you know, the, why why they, you know, might be exposed to, you know, a team that can blitz them um, when the time comes in the tournament. But, you know, I think first and foremost, just, you know, hats off to, to them um, winning the outright regular season title and um, 
conference tournament is a is a tough task to do. Um, I personally thought that they were, you know, a little bit vulnerable coming in here. Um, but, you know, they looked the part and were rewarded with a one seed as a result. Yeah, echoing your congratulations. I mean, going going two for two in the in the conference and in the regular season and tournament is is by no means easy. Um, so, you know, congratulations to, to the Boilermakers. Um, they still can't handle a press and that's bad. They, I mean, I, you know, my, with my, in my many years of coaching fifth grade basketball experience, um, we ran our press break that was way too similar for, to, to what Purdue was running today for me to feel confident in their ability. And, and, you know, say what you want about Penn state, like they play really hard. They've got, they're not that big of a team. They, they, they basically top out, I mean, uh, Kevin Jai's 6'10", but besides that, they're basically topping out at 6'7", uh, especially when they get more of their guards out there. And I mean, when they, when, when they've got to play more serious athleticism, I think the, the backcourt of, of two freshmen and kind of not really much ball handling skills on the wing is, is something that could potentially come back to bite them. That was blew a 17 point lead in six minutes. Um, they missed their free throws. They did pretty much everything wrong down the stretch and managed to win this game, which is a testament to how well they were playing uh, earlier that they were able to, to kind of eke out that win. Well, and, and just a testament to, uh, you, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you can, you can, can, you can talk yourself into, you know, either, either side of the coin, right. You can say, well, you know, they've won a lot of, I mean, not necessarily games similar to this, but like we've seen them sort of have lapses with, you know, when you get under, kind of 10 minutes like we've seen them have defensive lapses honestly not just this year but like historically like right like we've we've you know this is this is it feels like it's like a problem that we're always talking about with these Matt Painter coach teams um but you know they 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 find ways to win these games whether it's they make just enough free throws they get just enough stops It, it usually doesn't feel like they they make the big shots but they do all the other things offensive rebounds um, you know, getting to the free throw line and forcing enough turnovers just to do just enough to win these games. Now, on the one hand, you could you could argue, oh, well, you know, uh, it, it just takes one time for, you know, them to get an unlucky bounce and, and they'll be bounced early. But on the other time, I mean, on the other hand, uh, winning's winning, right? And uh, there are a lot of, I think, programs throughout the conference that have struggled to find ways to win games this year. And are ending the year thinking that their record should be better than what it is. Both teams that are in the tournament and teams that did not make the tournament. And so I think, you know, credit to Purdue for, you know, just winning. I think a lot of that has to do with Matt Painter and just the consistency that, you know, he's brought to their program and just their, you know, they have a stronger identity, I think, just because of the continuity at the head coaching position than a lot of the other programs, just because they've gone through through some degree of churn over the last decade. But that has not been the case at Purdue. Anyway, on to on to the big dance. Um, we're going to talk about all the games in a second, but let's first talk about who's not there. Um, the the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. You know, I think according to, I don't know what the official like. I don't know what is an official bracket and like what isn't. But according to all the the like predictors out there, I think they were in all but five of the like bracket the the sort of actual like you know media sponsored brackets i don't know what the term is is called but um most people who know about this have them had them in and and the committee did not though the committee had them you know as as one of the first four teams out um and you know i think 
really, really unfortunate. Um, but you can really, I think, point to two reasons for why this team didn't get in. Um, a, you look at their their quad three record. They they really struggled at the beginning of the year. They went two and four in quad three games. I know they were suffering through some injuries earlier in the year, but um, given their their quad three record and just their non conference strength of schedule, you know, I think being ranked in the three hundreds, um, that definitely hurt them. And, and I mean, I, you know, this may be a little bit more subjective, but I think the their the way that they finished the year, you know, they they left a lot on the table. They, they had plenty of opportunities to, you know, do do better than than ten and ten in the conference, and and they were skidding in coming in. They they lost at home to Nebraska, um, you know, they they lost on a buzzer beater to Minnesota. They lost at home to Northwestern. Um, there's there, there's just a lot of I think games that they wish they they had back here. I mean, even despite all that, they put together uh, a really good season. But I think they're probably the team that's feeling it, feeling the most like they were they they were snubbed here because I I personally felt like they did enough to be in. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and I think especially if you look at I mean, you know, you can you can pick on most of the kind of play-in teams, but I think and, and the one I want to pick on is is even one that didn't even is is was seated above the play-in game, and that's North that's NC State. Um, I think you look at NC State's body of work compared to Rutgers, and uh, I mean, there's no reason NC State isn't. There's no reason that NC State shouldn't have been a play-in team for making it anyways. But I think that you know they had one quad one win. Um, they beat Dayton uh, and and Vanderbilt in their in their best out of conference wins. Um, you know, no. I mean, the the loss to Syracuse looks looks pretty bad, um, and I think I think losing to Clemson pro- by 26 points probably should have knocked them out of the tournament. Um, it's true that wins matter, and NC State won 23 games, and Rutgers won 19. But you know, I, I think for if if we want teams to take the non-conference part of their season seriously, um, and you know, my, Rutgers had games against Miami and Seton Hall, um, which you know, I, I mean, it's not like they're loading it up either, but I don't know. But I think so. I think you can play the comparison game, but also, like you said, it comes back to how they actually played. Uh, and and I think the that skid at the end of the year where they lost six of eight um, really, really did themselves no favors. I mean, you can you can explain away losing back to back Indiana, Illinois on the road. But the Nebraska home, Michigan, Michigan home, you know, by 13 and then Minnesota on the road are, you know, those are games you have to win if you're going to make the NCAA tournament. And they couldn't find enough offensively, um, you know, in a lot of these games to to get the job done. Yeah, and, and not that the net is the the metric that you use to judge this stuff, but, like, Rutgers is, is one spot ahead of Northwestern in the net. They're five spots ahead of NC State. Um, you know, they're eight spots ahead of... Penn State like it's just it, it it's it's kind of ridiculous when you um, when you see just like what their their computer metrics show um, so I think really disappointing for Steve Peichel's squad um, you know and, and, and all things considered right like you know, losing Geo Baker Ron Harper Jr. Um, like you know this this program I think exceeded expectations despite the disappointment um, and you know there's there's a reason for optimism right Derek Simpson looks like a, a nice player and they got contributions 
um, from guys, you know, like Palmquist, you know, that they weren't necessarily expecting. And, you know, Mag was injured for a lot of the year. So there's there's reason, you know, to believe that next year's, you know, going to be even better than this year was. But, man, yeah, I felt like they did enough to be in the field. Um, but on to the, the preview for um, teams that are in the field. We're, we're going to talk about each of the eight games here for just a little bit here. Um, so going in order of when the teams take the court. Uh, first game of the day on Thursday will be um, Maryland taking on West Virginia with the winner um, likely facing number one seed Alabama in the round of 16. Brett, how do you feel about Maryland's chances against West Virginia? I like them. Um, I, I think I have Maryland to win this game. I think this game is going to be borderline unwatchable. Uh, it's, you know, West Virginia is, is known for just basically making live other teams' lives hell um, and, you know, pressing and, and really kind of trying to run, run and, uh, you know, make, make things miserable. So it is very interesting to me that they have the 15th best offense in the country, um, despite, going 19 and 14. Um, so, and they, they don't really push it, I guess, as much as, as they have in the past, but I mean, the Huggins builds his guy, his teams, uh, really on the back of athleticism. I think the interesting thing is going to be, uh, how they try how Maryland tries to pound the ball inside. Um, I think that West Virginia is not a very large team in the front court. They've got uh, one guy at, at 6'10", but he only plays about 38% of their minutes. So they, they really kind of do a center by committee. Um, and those guys average, you know, 6'8". So I think, look, I think I'm looking for Maryland to really try to pound the ball inside. Um, and that's going to come, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how Jameer Young holds up against uh, Joe Toussaint, which is a name that Big Ten fans will know from his years at Iowa. Um, very defensive-minded guard. Um you know, hard, hard nosed player. Uh, will try to really make life difficult. I th- so yeah, I think that Maryland's strength is going to come from getting getting Reese Scott and Hart involved inside. Um, and if they can do that, I I think that they will they will win that game. Yeah, I I um, I'm not sure that I like Maryland. I, I think you know we're going to talk about this you know, as we talk about the rest of the games here. But I I think the Big Ten's in for a little bit of a you know, rude awakening when it comes to the athleticism on the perimeter and on the wing that some of these teams are going to bring to the table from the SEC and the Big 12 in particular. Um, yeah, I think physically, from a physicality standpoint, um, I, I think Big Ten teams can hang, but I, I don't know from like a, from a speed athleticism standpoint that they will. Um, and, you know, it's tough. It's tough to prepare for, you know, the the press and the onslaught that West Virginia is going to throw at them. Um, there are some Big Ten teams that that press, but not with the aggression that West Virginia does. Uh, the 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 reason why you can talk yourself into Maryland winning this game is I, I think they're a little bit better offensively, um, and they they've got the one on one playmakers, particularly the veteran ish guys. And I think Julian Reese is potentially the wild card and the ability to break the press. Um, because, you know, there's there's two pieces to breaking the press, right? There's, you know, not turning the ball over on your own side. And then can you, once you break it, if you have an advantage, can you, you know, finish at the hoop in transition once you have that? And I think Julian Reese can certainly help with the latter. Um, yeah, I think this will be a, a close game, probably a lower scoring game. And, uh, but we, you know, we've talked about Maryland does not play well away from College Park. 
Um, and you, you wonder if the athleticism is just going to be going to be too much um, that West Virginia will bring to the table with their deep lineup. Um, the second Big Ten team in action Thursday is um, Illinois fighting Illini taking on Arkansas. Um, so, you know, Arkansas, they 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 bring pedigree. You know, they if you recall, they made a deep tournament run last year, but they, they honestly kind of got, got buried under the radar this year in what was a, a super strong SEC where, you know, there's a lot of talk about Kentucky not doing well, a lot of talk about Alabama um, and, you know, and how well they did. Uh, they, they, they didn't have the, the greatest conference play, but, um, uh, you know, I think with Illinois, when this is more about Illinois than is their opponent, in my opinion. Because I think we we talked about top to bottom. I think you know roster wise, I think Illinois has the advantage. Um, you know they'll they'll need to make threes, um, and uh, they they they'll need to you know spread the floor and take advantage of you know some of the one on one matchups that they can generate. And they're going to need Karen Shannon to you know probably score twenty plus points to win this game. Um, you know I, I think it's really unfortunate because I think a lot of people were high on Illinois and their ceiling this year for the reasons that we talked about, despite their like underwhelming conference performance, but the winner of this game plays Kansas. And, you know, frankly, I don't, I don't see this as one where there's like a eight or nine upsetting a one in this little quadrant here. Yeah. I, it, this is going to be a fascinating game because it's basically two teams that cannot figure it out. Um, each Illinois we've seen give up huge leads, um, you know, had to fight back from huge deficits when Illinois is on, I still believe that they have the highest ceiling in the conference. But, uh, you know, when they're not, it, it gets ugly. That's how you that's why you lose to Penn State twice. Uh, you know, that's it's it's why, you know, you lose by 12 to Ohio State. Um, it's why they've lost 12 games. Um, but I mean, the same can be kind of said for Arkansas, right? Arkansas comes in. They lost their they lost five of seven down the stretch. Uh, before bowing out in the semifinals of the SEC tournament. Uh, and sure, you know, they lost to uh, all of those games were to tournament teams. They lost to Mississippi State, A&M twice, and then Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. But, you know, like we've said, if you're a contender, you're going to win some of those games. Good teams find ways to win games. And, you know, they have two very, very, very talented freshmen in Anthony Black and Nick Smith that have been, uh, especially Nick Smith and and other guys on their roster have been really hurt this year. So, um, you know, they, they've, they've really had their share of injury struggles and, and just keeping guys healthy. And that will obviously have an impact on your ability to, to play, but I mean, it's still a super long and athletic team. Um, I think you're right. I think we would, we would really, if, if Terrence Shannon isn't having a big game, um, I am, Likely they're not. Well, they're not winning this game. Um, I think Meyer's also another guy that they're going to be able to kind of miss, exploit some mismatches with him. Um, just at his size, the the wings of Arkansas are a little bit smaller, and he's been able to to kind of shoot over some of those guys. So we'll see how they come out in that. Um, you know, with with that defense. But I think like, I don't know. I think this is a game where like Coleman Hawkins gets a little excited and has six turnovers and like a couple defensive breakdowns against the athleticism of Arkansas and. I mean, if you may, if you you're making me pick this game, I'm taking Arkansas um, based on just the more consistent talent throughout their roster that they have. 
the next game of the day on Thursday. So I, I think we're going to hit on similar things that we talked about with these first two games, but I, I think the outcome there might be a little bit different. So, you know, at 550, we've got Auburn taking on Iowa in another 8-9 game. And it, we've chronicled a lot how the Iowa Hawkeyes are completely, you know, unpredictable, right? Like they've had a couple of games this year where they've been down a lot late that they've won. Um, they, you know, but they'll, you know, they, in their last two games, they lost to Nebraska and then to Ohio state one at home, one on a neutral site. Like you just, you, you don't know what you're going to get with Iowa. And they historically under friend McCaffrey have not been a good team um, in, in the tournament. You recall, even after they won the big 10 tournament last year, they were knocked out as a five seed um, in the first round. So, you know, they're taking on Auburn um, and, and sort of similar story to Arkansas, right? Um, they, they come in having gone, it appears, three and seven in their last 10. Um, so, you know, uh, not he- heading in the wrong direction. You know, they actually lost to Arkansas in, in, in their first game in the, uh, in the SEC tournament. Um, and, you, you know, to me, the thing that would give you reason for optimism if you're an Iowa fan, it's because they can score, right? And I, I, we talk a lot about how just offense matters more than defense in the tournament. And you know, especially as you zoom out, um, no one knows what the status is going to be for Marcus Sasser in Houston. And even, you know, with him, they're sort of an untested one seed. Um, I, I'm not calling anything at this point, but th- th- this is a lot more gettable of a quadrant uh, then I think, you know, Maryland have a, have the eight seed or Illinois has as, as the nine seed. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'll push back a little bit on, on uh, Houston not being tested. I think they had a pretty, uh, pretty solid. I mean, they, they got blown out by Bama, but you know, they've, they've, they've beaten Oregon. They've beaten Kent state. They've beaten uh, St. Mary's. They beat Virginia. Um, so I think, I think, they're going to be ready to go. But I think the bigger thing is the health of Marcus Sasser as he is, you know, really the engine that, that makes that team go. Um, but I think first, you know, before we get to that, and I think, I think we, that's a, a good point we should talk about, especially for Iowa because they can score so much. This game against Auburn is going to be very, very, very interesting. Um, I have what I believe is legitimate reason to doubt Fran McCaffrey in a tournament setting. Um, and I think Auburn's defense is going to put up a pretty good fight against Iowa. Um, you know, Auburn has, I think, I think if Auburn loses this game, it's because Wendell Green uh, just doesn't, doesn't have it and keeps pressing. And that's that we saw that last year. We've saw it sometimes this year, you know, their, their guards get trigger happy from three and Iowa's is going to give them plenty of good looks. So if Green is not hitting and, and he's only a, uh, He's a 29% three-point shooter on on pretty significant volume this year. He's taken 143s and made 29.5%. Um, so he's going to shoot. He's going to get his shots. Um, so you know they're they're not as dangerous as Iowa is from the outside, but they can defend and they have the wing size to deal with Chris Murray. Um, you know they're 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 three and four pretty much line up at six six and six eight. So that's enough size to give Murray some trouble. They have athleticism. Um, it's basically going to be a question of whether they can they can score. And Iowa's defense does have a reputation for letting people do that. The the one other thing I'll add about this game, it is in Birmingham. So it's a de facto home game for Auburn. Um, I don't know if that matters. Um, I, I'm sure their their fans will, will turn out. Um, 
but yeah, it's on, you don't usually see that where an eight seed gets, um, or where 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 in an eight nine game, like one of them's playing so so close to them. Obviously, that's sort of random with this, but trust me, if Iowa loses, you'll certainly hear about that from their fans. Um, yeah, and okay. I, I mean, you know, Auburn. This this has the makings of a uh, South Carolina playing in Greenville, you know, uh, South Carolina for their their run to the Final Four uh, six years ago, seven years ago. Wow, it was that long ago. Um, but yeah, I think, I think each, each of these teams has a, has a pretty good shot against uh, a wounded Houston team. Uh, although Marcus Sasser is now probable for the tournament. The fourth big 10 team to take the court on Thursday are the Northwestern Wildcats. They'll tip off at six thirty-five Eastern and, and they'll take on Boise state. And, um, I mean, so it, in some ways, you know, I, I think Northwestern, is lucky that they're not going to be playing an SEC or a Big 12 team because I think, you know, from a you – Northwestern's know, even of these teams in the crowded middle of the Big 10, they are not the most athletic um, when it comes to guys on the perimeter. Um, and, you know, they they do well by controlling pace and, you know, letting Boo Booey do his thing. And, you know, they, they prefer to like, you know, anchor down on their defense. And, you know, I just, I don't know that, it, well, they have some good perimeter defenders, you know, Chase Audis in particular. I don't know they have enough to necessarily slow down. Like if they were playing Auburn or Arkansas, I, I would not be super high on them. But Boise State, you're you're getting a more balanced attack. Like they have five guys that average um, double figures. Um, you know, Boise State had, had, a, had a, you know, a, a really, really good, you know, good year this year out of the, out of the mountain West. Um, anything in particular of note on them that you think is going to give Northwestern trouble? Yeah, actually, I think this is a really bad draw for Northwestern. Um, Boise state's really experienced, uh, four of their five, five starters are upperclassmen. Um, and they, they have guys that can get to the hoop. Um, they don't shoot, they shoot it okay from three, but they're also very comfortable playing, at a slower tempo, like Northwestern is, is sub 300 in, in tempo uh, for the year, but, but Boise state's sub 200, they're perfectly capable uh, playing long sustained possessions. Um, and they, they're, they come relatively battle tested. The mountain West got, I think what, five, four teams in this year. Um, so they, they have experience and they, they've beaten two pac 12 teams. They beat Texas A&M by 15 uh, and they beat St. Louis. So, you know, and they, and they have beaten, they, they, they went, they did win against Utah State at home, so you know they obviously their most of their losses have come. Actually, I think they only lost they lost one home game this year. Um, so you know you've got the the splits potential uh, being potentially being an issue. But this is a hard nosed team. They play great defense. They're top 15 in the country in defense uh, efficiency, and they they have enough offense I think to give Northwestern some trouble, especially if they can key in on Adige and Bowie and and really try and make. Like Ty Berry, who's had a rough, rough stretch down the down the stretch to finish the season, uh, go in there and beat them. Yeah, no, I, I, it's interesting. I, I think we're we're on opposite ends of the spectrum here. I mean, I think you, Boise State is one of the worst teams in the country. Which when it, when you just look at like assists, um, you know they they don't move the ball really well. And I think you really need to do that against this Northwestern team to beat them. Now, I think their experience. You know, we we even saw right like Penn State's a team that's similar in that regard and. You know, they were able to um, hand it to uh, Northwestern, I guess, you know, twice really in the in the last week here. So, um, you know, but yeah, I think um, 
the the other thing that I'd, I'd pay attention to here is is Northwestern just happy to be here. You know, they overachieved so much um, in the regular season. You know, they even though they exited early in the Big Ten, you know, this in in a lot of years, like in a lot of ways, it's already been mission accomplished for Northwestern. Uh, but I I actually do like this I do like this matchup and you know honestly you know we just talked about you know Houston facing injuries too I mean UCLA I, I think has too much firepower if Northwestern were to get past Boise State but you know they lost one of their um, I mean at the very least one of their best defenders but probably one of their best overall players too for the year so they're a little bit shorthanded when you you know you look at the the mini quadrant there too so um, I, I I think it it could have been a lot worse for Northwestern. Um, when you look at, you know, where they're playing, it sucks that they have to go all the way out to California, though. The last game of the day on Thursday, uh, Penn State, the uh, the darling of this past week as a 10 seed, um, takes on Texas A&M. That tips at 8.55. Texas A&M feels like they, they got the raw end of the stick there in terms of seeding. They finished second in the uh, in the SEC, made the SEC um, tournament championship, championship game. I, I think they were... Still sorting some things out in the non-conference play, but you know, they, they um, had their way with a super, super strong SEC this year, you know, other than Alabama. Um, so th- this feels like a tough matchup, too. But Penn State, honestly, is the one team in the Big Ten that I feel like can handle the athleticism that Texas A&M um, and, and the physicality that they bring on the defensive um, end of the court. You know, Penn State's you know, proven they can handle that. Um, I, I think it's just going to be a matter, as always, with this team of, of, of whether they make a make enough shots. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting profile of a team for Penn State or for Texas A&M as you as you kind of look at their their stuff on Kevin For one, they crashed the glass super hard on offense, and Penn State usually has done a pretty good job at limiting those offensive rebounds. And I think something that actually goes in their favor is that. Texas A&M is not a very big team. I mean, you've got you've got Julius Marble, who's kind of a load down low, but he's only 6'9". And actually, big Big Ten fans will remember him as well from his days at, at Michigan State. But, I mean, besides that, he's their tallest player, and he's definitely their ta- the tallest player in their rotation. Um, so I think if, if, if you know, they it looks – Penn State's done pretty well keeping with a smaller roster. I think Keba, Keba Jai has played fewer and fewer minutes down the stretch. Um and they've actually kind of gone with with Seth Lundy at the at the five. So if he can work and make sure that uh, you know Marble isn't attacking the glass and without fouling, um, I think they could you know really they, they they could keep them off the glass. And that's a lot of their 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 points. And they get to the free throw line a lot too. So I think avoiding foul trouble is going to be more important than ever uh, for Penn State. But yeah, I mean if if they can get back to their early season ways of shooting. You know, I, there's no reason why they can't win this game. Um, you know, the Texas A&M give, uh, is kind of upper third in the country uh, at three-point percentage uh, defensively, um, and they do not shoot the ball well from three. So if Penn State consistently can knock down some shots, it's going to be hard for Texas A&M to catch up unless they can really grind grind away and get to the free throw line off of offensive rebounds. Yeah, and, you know, also Texas A&M sort of has a weird resume. They, they've got two quad four losses this year, which I think is part of the reason why they're seated the way they are. They lost to, like they lost to Murray state. They lost to Colorado. They, you know, they, they lost to Wofford. Uh, like th- th- it was a weird non-conference start to the season for them, but you know, they, I mean, they went on a, 
you know, they were on a six, they went on a six game win streak at one point and they're, uh, um, they're like 10 and two in their last 12, you know, so they're a hot team. I, I think a unfortunate, uh, unfortunate seed for them, but, um, objectively, uh, I mean, I hope for the conference that Penn state gets, gets out of this game at least, but at Texas A&M, Texas second round game could be fun there too. Um, moving on to the Friday games, you know, three last games here, and, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so, again, early in the morning on Friday, 11.15 a.m., um, Michigan State takes the court against USC. Um, so I, I I like this draw for Michigan State, too. You know, the, the, the winner of this game gets Marquette, which I think is a vulnerable two seed, even though they've had a really, really good year um, under Shaka Smart. Um, with Michigan State, it's, it's going to kind of be the same thing that, you know, we, we talk about with, with them the entire time. Um, and it's, it's you know, will their guards be able to carry them offensively? Um, with the USC, um, they've, got, they've got a player in Drew Peterson who's kind of one of those guys that we, we saw it a little bit actually, you know, last year when they made their mini run in the tournament. But um, he, he's, you know, a little bit of a firecracker where, you know, he can just explode at any time. He's super athletic. Um, and Michigan State's going to have to slow him down um, if, if they want to win this game. But USC has been really inconsistent for most of the year. You know, the, the Pac-12 wasn't the strongest conference um, uh, this year. And uh, I believe this game is in um, it's in Columbus. So it's like a cross-country trip for USC, where it's familiar territory for Michigan State. I think a lot of things set up you know, for, for Michigan state to, to come away with this, uh, this victory, you know, and I mean, not even just, you know, that, that Marquette, you know, matchup, but um, I, I think it's a, you, you've got Kentucky and on this side, you've got Kansas state on this side. Like, I think, I think it'd be a deeper run for Michigan state than most people expect. Uh, for once we're actually in agreement on one of these games. Um, yeah. I think this is a really good draw for Michigan state. Um, I, I'm very interested in the the Tyson Walker Boogie Ellis matchup. I think they're they're two pretty similar players. Um, you know, uh, outside shooting is is definitely a plus for both of them. Um, Boogie's really good at getting to the rim, um, and he he doesn't really turn the ball over, um, and and is able to draw a decent amount of fouls. So I think you know that he's going to be a guy for Michigan State to key on defensively. Um, besides, outside of him and Drew Peterson, which it's still hilarious to me that someone from Illinois named their kid Drew Peterson after all of that. Um, he is from Libertyville. Um, but he is those are their two experienced guys. You know, the rest of their rotation is is sophomores and freshmen. And sure, they you know, they got some experience last year. But I think that, you know, this this Spartan team is is a is a vet laden group at this point. Um, and I think that there's uh, definitely matchups to exploit. I think that you know, Joey Hauser stepping out and having having a good game is, is going to be pretty big. Um, and, you know, we'll see what they can get out of out of Malik Hall. But Haggard and Walker are going to be the the engines that kind of drive that this first game. And, you know, USC's defense is, is good, but not great. And I think that they'll be they'll Michigan State will be, will be able to find some some vulnerabilities. And, and like you said, I, I all things considered as as a seven seed. Uh, I like how the rest of the bracket shapes up for them in the late afternoon you know, the, the, the big 10 regular season outright champion and conference tournament championship Purdue, they take the court against the winner of Fairleigh Dickinson and Texas Southern. I don't know that we necessarily need to break down this game. I think Zach E will be enough for Purdue to avoid 
uh, a 116 upset. But I think I know you have a lot of thoughts on, you know, their potential round of 32 matchup. Uh, it, they play the winner of Memphis, who just won the American Athletic Conference Championship and a Florida Atlantic team that I believe went undefeated in the regular season um, in, in their conference. Um, and, and comes in, uh, what is it, 31? Yeah, 31 and 3. Um, so, you know, not, not they weren't super on, you know, on the radar you know, for most of the year, but them getting a nine seed, um, that's a reflection of the respect that the committee has for them. Yeah, I, I, I believe that they achieved their first uh, ranking in school history this year. So, so shout out the Owls and, and Dusty May for, you know, really having a hell of a season. Um, they, this is a, just a super balanced team um, that, that has been able to have a lot of guys score um, and a lot of guys shoot well. They, they are 19th in the country overall at effective field goal percentage. Uh, they don't really turn the ball over and they, they get after it on, on the offensive glass. Uh, they shoot 37% from three. So if, and I think, you know, with, with Purdue, you're going to want to look and just really utilize your wing defenders to, uh, you know, make sure that, um, you know, those guys aren't getting, so guys like Gillis and, and first and, and Morton really are just gonna have to stick to their men and, and, you know, worry, not worry as much about, uh, you know, rim attacks because you'll have Edie there to clean it up because uh, for the most part their their big guys don't shoot threes so you know Dusty may make may make some some adjustments there to really try and, and go small and draw Edie out um, so that they can they can get to the rim better but I think Purdue I think you know with with Edie and I think if they're able to get more get better more consistent play from their guards shouldn't be a problem the team that I'm really worried about if I'm Purdue is Memphis um, I know you know Penny has kind of taken his shots uh, throughout the years uh, for kind of cobbling together all this AAU talent and not really going anywhere with it. But I mean, this is a veteran team now. Uh, all five starters are seniors. Um, Ken Davis is, is 10, the uh, Canton player of the year. Um, they, you know, they shoot it pretty well from three um, and they're just athletic as hell. And, they're used to they're used to to pressing. They play so fast. They, they're 17th in the country in tempo, and that's what they're going to try and do. They're just going to try and run Purdue to death, and they're going to press them. And as we've seen, Purdue has a lot of trouble handling the press. So I, I you know, I don't think Purdue's going to have any issues with with the 16 seed they face. But I'd be thinking real hard about if you if you think Memphis can get through that first game, I'd be thinking real hard about about putting them into the round of 16. I don't know that I feel that strongly, but uh, I agree nonetheless that they're a team that's getting hot at the right time. Uh, the final Big Ten team to take the court in the first round are the Indiana Hoosiers, a team that I've personally been pretty high on throughout most of the year. Uh, at 8.55, they take on Kent State, who just won the MAC tournament. Um, you know, they've, they've got a guard in Sincere Carey who averages over 17 points a game. Um, and I know you're you're really, really high they've, on, on Kent State. They've shown um, well in some non-conference tests this year, um, including a five-point loss to Houston. And they, they played Gonzaga pretty tough, too. Um, I, I, you know, on the flip side of that, I do like Indiana's draw. Um, you know, with Miami as the five seed, 
and and then you know injured Houston team potentially after that. I I think there's a pathway for Indiana to make a deep tournament run here. Um, and I think I think just when you again taking our Big Ten bias out of it here, when you just look at the fact that they have a um, you know, they, they have a bona fide college superstar in Chase, Chase Jackson Javis. They have a legit NBA guard in Jalen Hutchifino. Um, they've got veteran role players that have been there before and a, and a coach where at least it feels like he's got this program tougher. I think they're an explosive enough offense where they can score in a game they need to score. Um, I think it can get timely stops. And I think it, it, if at worst comes to worst, they can give it to their, you know, potential all-American and their potential freshman All-American um, and, and and have them take take it home. So I'm not worried as much about an upset here. Um, and I, I think they, they fare well if they got to go toe-to-toe with a heavyweight, you know, looking down the road to the Sweet 16. So I, I partly agree with what you're saying and partly disagree. I think if they can get out of this first-round game, they have the easiest path to, to an Elite Eight berth out of pretty much any other team we've mentioned uh, tonight. I think you're right. The the draw of an injured Houston uh, is is very good, as is the the potential you know to play a Miami or Drake team in the second round that doesn't neither neither of which really scares me. Although I think Drake could spring an upset. Um, but man, this Kent State team is is really interesting. Um, they're they're they can match the veteran presence. They've got four senior starters, and then uh, you know the other one's a sophomore. But this these guys this is a group of guys who've been playing together for for a while. Sincere Carey is the kind of guard that that can win you games in March um, just due to his his ability to score the ball. They don't shoot it great from three or even that good from three. But and so there, there are a couple of guys that I think, you know, if they if they get open looks, they're going to shoot and they likely won't make them. And Carey's one of them. He's only at 30 percent from the year. Um, but they you know, they, they do have a couple of guys that you can't leave open. So Indiana can't fall asleep on the on the defensive end but they then they, they still play they play really tough defense too they're they're top 40 in the country in defense they went on the road to houston lost by five uh lost at gonzaga by seven so they've they've played tough competition um albeit not for not for a bit although the the their games against toledo were were quite good um so yeah i think they're gonna really have to work to keep jackson davis off the boards but they're not neither team is overwhelmingly big so i think that it's really going to kind of come down to who gets actual uh, production out of their role players. And I think we've seen Indiana be up and down on that. Um, I think, I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people expect. And I think, I think Kent state could, could spring an upset here. All right. So I know longer uh, than usual episode. So thank you all for sticking with us. Um, This is the the best time of the year. And we got, you know, eight of the conference teams here. Um, you know, all in, in, in winnable games, you know, for, for the most part, a lot of eight nines, a lot of seven tens here that um, should, you know, in fact, six of the eight teams in the conference are either playing in seven, 10 or eight, nine games. So um, should be fun to see how the conference does um, as, as a whole. Um, we thank you for all of those who have tuned in with us really throughout the uh, entirety of the season uh, it was a fun way for it to fun and unpredictable way for it to come to uh, a close in conference play this year um, and we'll be with you however far any of the, the conferences teams make it throughout the rest of the year so thanks as always for tuning in and we'll be with you um, next sunday to break it all down